James 3 is certainly a familiar passage. It's one that every person who stands or, or sits or whatever posture to open God's word to other people ought to take to heart. But I don't think that that verse in and of itself is the only part, only point. Uh, we tend to be fascinated by the descriptions in the first part of this section where it talks about things like the bit in the horse's mouth and the, the rudder that steers the ship or this destructive power of the tongue to uh, set things aflame or the poison of it. But I think as we go through this passage, particularly as we consider the last few verses of this section, James' emphasis is on this last section in the way that we misuse our tongue it reveals our hearts. Because if you think back to what he's been talking about in this book, he starts out and says, you're going through trials. What should trials produce? A mature faith. How do you know if you have mature faith? How do you know if you have any faith? There are certain markers that he talks about at the end of chapter 1. And then he goes on with some practical examples of the way that we treat people as they gather in the assembly the way that we demonstrate our faith, not merely just by an outward profession, but also by good works. And now he turns to the tongue, which is perhaps the most revealing of the state of our hearts, because the best of people, humanly speaking, sooner or later, reveal that they are not perfect by their words. He says, let not many of you be teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. And sometimes that verse is held in isolation, but look at the verse right after it. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. It is tempting if you have opportunity to teach God's word or teach anything for that matter, to assume a position of superiority toward the people around you, potentially, because our hearts tend to stray that way. And James says, hang on a second. Do you ever speak wrongly? You're not as qualified to be the one giving advice as you think you might be. Now, there's a sense in which no one has fully arrived, and the, the criterion for those who teach God's word is not perfection, but a right heart attitude toward God and a striving to meet the standards that God has set forth. But there's also a sense at which we ought to recognize if we stand up and start to teach God's word to people and we think that we've arrived, but our words reveal differently, that ought to be a rebuke to us. That ought to be something that humbles us. The fact that we still stumble in what we say, whether it be to speak in words of anger or to speak in words that are dishonest, or whether it be to speak in words of pride, whatever it might be, whatever sinful thing that's going on in our hearts that our words reveal, that is an opportunity for us to pause and to reflect on what our tongue is revealing about our hearts. That we have not arrived, that by God's grace we are growing in Christ's likeness, but we are not there yet. So then he turns to the significance of the tongue. This is the part that I'm sure we're familiar with. If we put the bits in the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. The tongue has influence to 
direct the course of our lives. He says this again in verse 4, The ships also, though they're great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and it boasts of great things. So as we look at this passage, is he saying that the tongue boasts of great things, but it can't actually accomplish them, or that the tongue has power to accomplish them? And I think it's probably the second from this perspective. There's a close connection between our hearts and our tongues. And so the words that we speak reflect the attitudes of our hearts, and those things together direct the course of our lives. So, what is your tongue revealing about your heart? What is the direction of the course of your life? And sometimes we think, well, the words that we say can just kind of be neutral. They're not, they're not necessarily good or bad. They're just, we're just speaking our mind. Well, what does James say to that? See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Have you ever spoken words that are like when you light something with a lighter and it starts a big fire bonfire? Have your words ever had that kind of powerful and destructive effect on the people around you? You blurt something out without thinking and then you say, I shouldn't have said that. Or you start trying to backpedal and you explain why the thing that you said didn't really mean what you said, even though it did mean that, and it makes it worse. We might think that the tongue is like the bit or like the rudder, and all it's doing is just directing it one way or the other. But James doesn't let us pause there. He says the way that it's directing us, because it's connected to our heart, is good or bad. And he focuses on the bad part first because he's rebuking uh, these people through his letter. In verse 6, he says, The tongue is a fire, the world of iniquity. Set among our members is that which defiles the entire body, sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. You say, James, those are some pretty strong words. Didn't Jesus say that it's what comes out of our heart that defiles us? So isn't James saying something different than what Jesus said? He's saying the tongue defiles us. Why? Again, I think it's this connection between what's in our hearts and what's expressed through our words. We are defiled by the words that we speak, by the tongue, because it reveals our hearts, and in our hearts, apart from God's grace, is all manner of wickedness. It sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by a hell. Um, it's a powerful image that James lays out for us. Do you think of the wrong words that you speak as kind of being like a flamethrower that you're just sort of pointing randomly around your backyard? We tend not to think of our words as being that serious, right? It's not a... I don't want to overstate the case. It's not that 
um, our, our words force people to be certain ways and they have no responsibility for their response to our sinful words. Because there's clearly responsibility in the way that we react to something as well as for the person who actually says something or does something. But people say a phrase like sticks and stones can break my bones but words can never hurt me. It's not really true, is it? Parents, when you speak to your children, do you speak to them in a godly way or in an ungodly way? Because if you speak to them in an ungodly way, that will greatly impact their lives. And I confess that I am not perfect in this. There are times when I have said things like, you never do this right, or you always do this bad thing, or things like that. Words that are not true, and that tear down the relationship that I have with my children. I'm sure if we think carefully, we all are guilty of that at some measure or another. What about the words that you speak to the people that you work with? It is tempting to want to talk just like the people around you who don't know Christ. But it only takes one instance of you repeating the bad joke they told you or saying some offhand comment in an effort to be funny that mocks people and just closes the door as an opportunity to witness to certain people to be a good testimony. What about in our families? Maybe not so much with our kids, but in our marriages, with extended relatives, and so forth. How do our words affect those people around us? And we often think, well, I've got it under control. I've got all these things going on in my heart, but they're never going to get out. Verse 7. Every species of animals has tamed and has been tamed, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Maybe you're driving down the road and you're really frustrated with that person in front of you. And they slam on their brakes and you think you're going to get into an accident. And some inappropriate phrase that's been circulating in your head for whatever reason pops out. Why? Because it's what's in your heart. Because you can't tame the tongue because if you tamed the tongue it would mean that your heart had been fixed and our hearts are not fully fixed. Hopefully by God's grace the condition of our hearts is improving but what's in our hearts comes out in our words it often comes out in situations of uh, intense pressure or when we're really tired or when there's other things that, that sort of erode the self-control that we would usually have for our words. It's in those moments that what's really in our hearts comes out. And sometimes when we see what's in our hearts, we're like, you know what? 
I thought everything was good, but I realize it's kind of like when you find that bag of potatoes under the kitchen counter, that bag of apples in the fridge, or that takeout box in your car that's been there for a month. And you open it up and you say, what's inside here? Might look okay on the outside. And you open it up and you immediately want to be in a different room. That's what the tongue does. It reveals our hearts. So you start out and you have this person who says, you know what? I've got it all together. I'm in a position to teach other people God's word. Perhaps there's a little bit of a jab toward Pharisees and some of these other religious figures in what James is saying. Maybe not. And they stand up and they say, here's what God has said. And then they go out into the marketplace. Somebody does something. Somebody else says something. And their response reveals they are not perfect. Or to put it in modern terms, you show up at church. You say nice things to people in the lobby. You get in the car. Something upsetting happens. And you say terrible things to your wife or kids. To your husband or kids. To your parents. reveals our hearts. We think we're in control of it, but it's directing the course of our lives in the sense that it's connected with our hearts, and our hearts are directing the course of our lives. We think that it's something that is just maybe sort of neutral, and James describes it as something that can set a whole forest ablaze. We think that we've got it under control, and James says, you know what? It's like if you had an alligator that could kill you with a poisonous bite and had spikes all over it and you're keeping it in your house and you think it's like your pet cat. There's obviously no such creature. But we think certain creatures are kind of domesticated. And we think that our tongues are under our control and James says, you cannot tame it. What's the implication? God can. By his grace, he changes our hearts so that what comes out of our hearts is right. But what is it that James highlights here at the end of this section? With it we bless our Lord and Father. With it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Verse 2, he said, We stumble in many ways or in many things. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. But what is the way in which the imperfect man stumbles in what he says? James says, you say good things about God, and you say evil things about people around you. From the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. When he says ought not to be this way, He's not saying, you know what, it'd probably be better if they weren't this way. He's saying, how can you possibly live this way? How can you praise God and curse the people that God has made? How can you sing hymns of praise to God and speak words of hatred to people around you? How can you say 
God, I come before you humbly and I love you and I want to serve you. And then you speak to others in a, in a tone of pride and arrogance and selfishness and all of these other sorts of things. James says, you're not where you think you are. There's a problem that ought to be fixed and it reveals your heart. Verse 11, does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree produce olives or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? Think of the story of uh, Elisha in the Old Testament. Remember there are those people and uh, they're gathering of the prophets and they're trying to dig a sort of a well and it's bitter and they're going to be sick if they drink the bitter water. Elisha does a miracle and now it's good water. You know what it's not? Good and bad at the same time. But so often we are blind to what's going on in our hearts as revealed in our words and we think that it's normal that in one breath we say something great about God's glory and in the next breath, we say something terribly wrong towards someone around us. And then we go about our day like it's no big deal. James is saying, this is not how it works in the world around us. Why should we, as God's people, be worse than all of these things in the created world that God has made? He talks next about plants. He said, can a fig tree make olives? No. What does a fig tree produce? It produces figs. An olive tree produces olives. A fig tree produces figs. One doesn't produce the other. And obviously we're not getting into discussions about if you graft one branch of one on another. That's not the point of what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you take a seed... If you take a cutting of a particular plant and you put it in the ground, you're going to get something like the thing that you put into the ground. And the fruit it produces is going to reveal what sort of a thing it is. How many of you can tell trees apart in the wintertime? I, I, I picked up a book that was something called like Winter Botany. And I put it down because it was dreadfully boring. It was basically like, take this stick and this stick and look at these minute characteristics. And you might be able to tell that this is this kind of tree and that's that kind of tree. Now, if you look at the bigger picture, you can say, well, this tree is shaped like this kind of family of trees. And this tree is shaped like that kind of family of trees. What about when it gets leaves on it? Can you tell a better idea what kind of a plant or a tree it is? Yes. But when it produces fruit, you can say, that's exactly what kind of a thing it is. I am in a couple of groups on Facebook, and people try to identify plants. And sometimes their attempts to identify plants are hilarious, and sometimes my answers have been clearly wrong when I've thought about them later. But... Somebody will be like, well, this is a such and such. Another person will be like, no, this is a whatever. A, 
common response that I've given and other, other people have given is wait until it produces the flower or it produces the fruit because then it is very clear what sort of a thing it is. And James says, you say that you're an olive tree, but your tongue is showing that you're producing figs. You say that a gra- you're a grapevine, but your tongue is producing something that's not grapes. So he's saying there's a measure of hypocrisy going on in our lives. There's a disconnect between what we say we are and what we actually are, and the thing that reveals it is our tongue. So, what does your tongue reveal about you? We often think that we are better than we are, that we're further along than we are, that we know God better than we do, that we've sort of arrived spiritually. Listen to the words that come out of your mouth. It ought to humble us and help us to recognize that we have a lot of growing yet to do. And when you come to those points where you say, you know what, Sunday morning I sang praise to God, and Sunday evening I said something that was clearly sinful, don't just skip over it and be like, well, that's just life. Sometimes we say stupid things, which is true, but that ought to make us pause and say, why did I do that? And James says the reason that you did that is because there's a disconnect between our profession of I have a mature faith, I'm ready to teach other people, and the inward reality of there's sin I need to deal with before God. What is the goal? It says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. There are many directions that we can um, act with the bodies, with the lives that God has given to us. But James says, To a certain extent, if we haven't figured out this basic connection between what's in our hearts and what's coming out of our mouths, we're not going to bring the rest of the things that are going on in our lives under control in a way that honors God. Because this basic thing is not taken care of. Look back to chapter 1 and verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So the worst case scenario of what James is saying is you can say I'm a Christian and your tongue can reveal that you don't know God at all. And I trust that's not the case for anyone in this room tonight. But if there's still some measure of this disconnect between what we say and what we ought to say, 
It means that we lack the maturity that is James's goal for those who encounter his book. Think back to what he said in chapter 1, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 19, he said, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. If you don't bridle your tongue, you're deceiving your own heart, and your religion is worthless. If you come chapter 3, and you say, well, I'm ready to be a teacher, we ought to take account of the fact that God will hold us guilty is not the right word God will bring us into account for the words that we speak that we all stumble in many ways that if we are still stumbling in what we are saying we are not yet perfect that the goal is maturity perfection um, being like Christ but we have not yet arrived that it's revealed by these things that are going on in our mouths, that it's like fire, that it's like poison, that it's a restless, untamed evil. I was talking with someone earlier today, and there was this question of that, that came in my mind of, what if someone professed to be a Christian and, and everything in their life seemed to be in order except the way that they talked. James would say, sit down, take a long, hard look at your heart and your life and say, do I know God? Or what sin is there in my heart that I need to deal with that's causing me to have this disconnect between what I say is true about me and what everyone else hears when they encounter me. The goal is maturity. Sometimes we get to the point where we're not immediately saying the things that are in our hearts, but sooner or later they come out. What do they reveal about who we really are? And, and I don't think that James is necessarily saying that... If you ever sin with your tongue, it always means that you're not a Christian. He's not saying that. But he is saying there's a measure of immaturity that God needs to root out of our hearts. So, if someone encountered your tongue, is it like coming to a place where you can get a nice, fresh, cold drink of water after a hot, hard day's work? Or is it like they get there, they pull out the water bottle, they unscrew the cap, and they drink it, and it's briny ocean water? They think that it's going to be an opportunity to be refreshed because they're going to be around you, and your words are like you've just set something on fire and they're standing right next to you and they get harmed by it. Is it like they think they're going to come 
pick a particular fruit off of a tree and enjoy it. And they realize, you know what? That's not an apple tree. That's a deadly nightshade plant. I've just eaten poison. These are the sorts of illustrations that James gives about what our tongue reveals, about the seriousness of those things, and the fact that we have to say, if my life is at all described by what James is rebuking, Lord, please help me to change these things. Not that I necessarily don't know you, Lord, but that I do know you and I want your help and I need to grow in these areas. It ought to drive us in humility to God because he's the one that can help us change these things. We can't tame it. We could tame horses and cats and dogs and cattle and all of these other things. But this thing that's a part of all of us, we can't tame it. But God can change it, right? Next week, we're going to look at this contrast between earthly and heavenly wisdom. And then later in chapter 4, James talks about the quarrels that take place in and among God's people. And what's the thing that links those three ideas together? A tongue that blesses God and curses neighbor a wisdom that is heavenly versus a wisdom that's earthly and quarrels among us. James is going to explain when we get to chapter 4, the thing that links all that together is the state of our hearts. The tongue reveals it. The activities of our lives show what kind of wisdom we value, whether it's God's wisdom or earthly wisdom. And the way that we behave toward one another in the assembly shows what our hearts are like. Are we driven by what pleases God or are we driven by selfish desires? And he's going to call us to, at the end of that middle section of chapter 4, to call us to repentance. But honestly, this, this that we're looking at tonight is part of that whole section. And so if we see that our tongues reveal something about our hearts that doesn't please God. God can help us to repent of that. God can help us to change. God can make it so that we're not the fresh fruit, the thing that's pretending to be fresh fruit and is really poison, the thing that's pretending to be a clear drink of water that's polluted by something, the thing that we think is going to be refreshing and taste bitter and horrible, Instead of all those negative things, we can use our tongue in ways that both honor God and encourage people around us. Which, interestingly enough, is the theme that Paul picks up in Ephesians, right? That we ought to edify one another. That we ought to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with the truth of God spilling out from our lives in such a way that it builds what God is doing in this world instead of tearing it down. And so it's interesting because people try to say Paul and James are saying different things. But at least in this passage, they're in agreement, right? The tongue ought not be used for evil. It ought to be used for good. And by God's grace, it becomes less hypocritical 
the more that we know and follow God. Let's pray. Help us to pay attention to your word. Help us not to be proud thinking that we have arrived, but to have the humble attitude that Paul expressed. I have not yet arrived, but I still press toward the prize that's held out before me. Lord, we say many words every day. It is so easy for us to maybe listen to a Christian hymn and be singing along with it and then mutter under our breath something toward someone around us. And that really reveals that we have a long way to go in being like you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to seize those moments that are evidence of our need to change and that like James said in chapter 1 with regard to the mirror we just would not just walk past them but we would gaze intently in your word be convicted by your spirit and act on that conviction so that we might be blessed by your work in our lives and not just us but the people around us might be blessed as well. Help us to use our tongues to please you, to edify others, to bring you glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.